0: This season was made possible with support from the Government of Alberta's Heritage Preservation Partnership Program and Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society Southern Alberta.
1: Well, I'm in over my head, no one told me Trying to keep my footprint
0: small was harder than I thought it could be
1: I'm in over my head, what do I really need Trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me
0: Trying to save the planet, oh, will someone please save me Welcome to In Over My Head, I'm Michael Bartz. While looking into the unique history of our provincial parks, I want to learn more about conservation in Kananaskis.
1: Hi, I'm Katie Morrison. I'm the Executive Director of the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, or CPAS, Southern Alberta Chapter. CPOS is a national charity, but we have 13 local chapters across the country. So um, I mentioned I work for the Southern Alberta Chapter. So we actually have two chapters in Alberta, which is a little um, unusual, but it's just the the history of how the organization uh, was created. Um, CPOS started in 1965, and our chapter was created in 1967. And our main purpose is to work on conservation of public lands. So looking at protected areas, parks and protected areas, ensuring that we have sufficient parks and protected areas and that they're being managed effectively. And then on public lands that aren't protected, that we're also considering nature and ecological function and making sure that all the uses that happen on those non-protected lands are also conserving nature, conserving um, the function of, of those spaces. So we do a lot of working on policy advocacy, but really a lot working with communities and the public and engaging citizens in how they can make a difference in conservation.
0: So when I was looking into the, the history of our provincial parks, it seems like there was kind of a shift from recreation and then to more conservation. And when I was reading about that, you know, Canaanaskis country came up and it seems like they kind of, Canaanaskis is kind of a champion for conservation. But then when I was looking to it a bit more, it's like, there's a bit more there. There's some concerns around development throughout its history. And, and I was interested that CPAWs was involved with that history. So I'm looking forward to, to learning about that with you. Um, yeah. Maybe tell me a little bit about the history of Cananascus.
1: Yeah, I mean, Kaneskis is an interesting place. And I think, I mean, I think we have to start if we're looking at the history of acknowledging that is the traditional territories of the Nitsitapi, the Yarhe Nakota, the, the Kutni, and the Sutina. But then if you jump, you know, forward in time as early as the 1940s, it was, it was being, you know, highly recognized for its water source potential and its ecological importance. So, you know, starting in the 1940s, the whole eastern slopes was actually recognized for that water source and biodiversity, although they didn't necessarily use that, that language then, fish and wildlife conservation. So in, in 1947, a joint action between the provincial government and the federal government created what was called the Eastern Rockies Forest Conservation Board. And that board was was responsible for looking at the management of almost the whole eastern slope, so not just Kananaskis, but including the Kananaskis region, and looking at how we manage and protect that place, again, largely for water and fish and wildlife value. And so they really were looking at that space as a multi-use concept, but very clearly with water as the highest priority because of the huge value of the Bow River system and, and the Kaneskis region being uh, the headwaters of the of the Bow system. And so that whole area was managed by this um, Eastern Rockies Forest Conservation Board until the early 70s when it was transferred sort of entirely to the Department of Lands and Forests of, of the provincial management. That body then formed the Environmental Conservation Authority and that was a similar process. They were really looking at how do we manage this place to preserve that water value and and that ecological value. And they went through a process of hearings and public engagement and expert input and reports and eventually came out with 23 recommendations for what would eventually form what's called the Eastern Slopes Policy. But as part of that, they recommended that large tracts of areas be conserved in the Eastern Slopes. I think one, uh, one area of the port, they actually said that a minimum of 70% of the Eastern Slope should be kept in a, in a natural or, or wilderness state, which we, we know now is not the case. That didn't come to fruition. Through the Eastern Slopes Policy, through um, this uh, Environment Conservation Authority, that it was recognized that something needed to be done in Kanaskis, and Kanaskis was formed itself in 1977 as this Kanaskis country concept.
0: So, OK, so you said that, you know, the, the goal was to have 70 percent conservation and that didn't happen. Um, so what did happen?
1: Yeah, well, the goal was 70 percent conservation across the eastern slopes and the Canescus was going to be was part of that. Um, so when it, when it actually became protected, there was, you know, already some proposals for development uh, in that region, some, some uses of development that previously existed. Um, and so when they formed Canescus Country, it was about 43 percent at that time was in two parks uh, protection. And then in the 80s, they created an integrated resource plan for that region as well, which was sort of it's kind of on top of the Canascas country designation. It's there's dozens of resource plans across the province um, that look at that management. Some of them have sub-zones of what type of activity is is appropriate, um, where, but that that um integrated resource plan also really highlighted the value of that area for water and for low-impact recreation activities.
0: So they have those things in place. They, they, they're sort of protecting certain areas, but they're also developing certain areas. So I guess that was part of the plan as well, that certain recreational areas.
1: So the Cat Ask Us Recre- Recreation Plan that, we, that was created in, in 1986 really did dig into this idea of how can we maintain that water function, maintain that uh, ecosystem function And have a variety of different recreational experiences. So some of those were more intense developments or commercial areas. You know, things like the golf course, which may or may not actually, you know, nowadays fit into what we see as Canonascus. But different levels and different making sure that there was appropriate recreational opportunities for, you know, a variety of people in a variety of pursuits, from, you know, visiting and picnicking to more backcountry style recreation in undisturbed areas. I think Kinask is still maintaining some of that quality, but we've certainly had to fight for that over the years as different development proposals have come up and different uh, visions of what that means.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tell me more about that. What sort of development proposals have, have come up that have perhaps been a, a concern in the past?
1: There's several. Um, and some of them, some of them are small and, and you know, they don't, Make mention in in history books, um, and some of them are are larger. One of uh, one of the ones that is sort of can ask us and adjacent um, was the Three Sisters and Wind Valley development in the early '90s. And it's interesting to be talking about this now because Three Sisters is still an ongoing issue. But there was a there was a massive development proposed there uh, in the '90s that included residential, but also big hotel systems, golf courses, resorts, housing units. Um, both in the Three Sisters and the Wind Valley region. For many people, including CEPAWS, that Wind Valley was one of the really key pieces to that because it is such an important wildlife corridor. So CEPAWS, as well as uh, other conservation groups, were really active in trying to oppose that development. Because it was such a large development, it did require to go through the Natural Resource Conservation Board process, and that is a process that, gives direction on on how things should be approved or not. And so the, it went through that process. Uh CIPA's, uh Southern Alberta, the CR Club, and the Alpine Club were all interveners in the hearing around that. Uh, but the public was really involved too. You know, there was public outcry. There was things like keep the Wind Valley Wild t-shirts. And and, you know, looking at some of this, it it became reminiscent to me of of some of the Defend Alberta Parks campaign that we had a few years ago where the really the public really took it and grasped it and made these sort of uh, campaign pieces of their own and and became really engaged. So the outcome of that that was that the Natural Resource Conservation Board uh, approved the Th- Three Sisters development, which is why we're seeing that come back over and over now with some conditions. And some of those conditions were protecting the wildlife corridor through Three Sisters and turned down the Wind Valley proposal. So kept that development out of Wind Valley. Uh, which I think is a really amazing testament, and we, we see this, you know, over and over, to the power of citizen engagement in these types of proposals and, and what we really want from our, from our systems and from our natural environment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's really nice to, to hear that people got together and that they spoke their mind and, and that there was actually a, a positive change. Were there any other sort of developments through the history of Kananaskis that are worth mentioning?
1: So I, I think there has been a lot of pressure to further develop Kananaskis commercially. And one of the interesting pieces that jumped out for me as I was reviewing uh, our history was um, some polls that were conducted in the in the mid-90s around Kananaskis. And in 1999, um, there was a government survey, actually, as they were trying to develop or trying to look at what do people want from, from this region. And that 88% uh, of those polled agreed that the highest priority should be environmental protection uh, and enhancement in the region. 76% believe that Kananaskis country is a delicate ecosystem and that wilderness and wildlife could be at further risk from development. Um, and some of the reasons those numbers jumped out for me is that we did some polling about a year ago, not specifically on Kananaskis, but on Albertans' uh, perceptions and, and views on protection in the, in the province in general, and the numbers are, were quite similar. You know, we had about three quarters of people wanting more protection that prevents degradation from industrial or commercial uses. The vast majority of people, I think it was about eighty-five percent, were in favor of Alberta committing to protecting thirty percent of its land and freshwater by twenty thirty, which is part of Canada's international commitments. And so that was. Really interesting for me to, to look at and think about that Albertans have stayed pretty constant in their desire for more protection and in their awareness of the constant risks by industrial and commercial developments to these places that they hold really dear.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good to hear that that's still happening. And then if I remember that poll correctly in the 90s, um, you guys had your poll, but then actually the government put out their own poll, right, about what sort of future development we could do, right?
1: Yeah, I think there was was a lot of conversation in the 90s of of how we manage this place to make sure that we are conserving the ecological function and and biodiversity while also ensuring that people can experience uh, nature and and get outside. Um, So there are various polls done. Governments were doing polls. CPOS did uh, a poll at the time. Um, Again, that sort of high interest, high public interest uh, in this region and making sure that we get things right.
0: And do you feel like they were getting things right back then?
1: I, I mean, I think there was attempts to get things right. Um, I think you know one of the reasons when we hear people talk about these type of things, they often use the word balance. How do we find the balance? And I purposely don't use that word because for me, it's not about a balance. It's not about trading off one thing for the other. Because the base value, the the base support of all life, including ourselves our communities. Um, that rely on these places for clean water and for the services that biodiversity provide. Um, that's the core stone. And then we try and how can we use experience and, you know, extract resources in some case, these areas without really impacting the core function. So it's not about trading off the core function for something else. It's about making sure that we are getting right, that we're not drastically impacting that core function. There are always. They're Pressures on places like Kananaskis. And I think we see from a recreation perspective more and more pressure. There was a study in 2011 that said there was, a I think, 1.1 million visitors to Kananaskis that year. Uh, we're now looking at over 4 million visitors in Kananaskis every year. And so, what was appropriate or what was okay, what those thresholds were back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, they're different again today because. We know more about the impact uh, of these developments or of our use on, on these ecosystems. But there is also very different pressures, and particularly from a recreation perspective, a, a very high and growing
0: pressure. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about around the history of Kananaskis that you feel like is worth mentioning?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think another really important event and, and date in Canadascas history was 2001. And that's when Spray Lake Sawmills was given their forest management agreement that included Kananaskis. So previously there was some timber uh, extraction from Kananaskis. But if you look at integrated re- resource plan, it is really framed around extracting kim- timber only where it is appropriate within these other goals around water source conservation uh, fish and wildlife habitat and recreation, and making sure that if there is timber extraction or you know other uses of the landscape, that it falls under those prime objectives. Um, in 2001, when Spray Lake Samuels was given the forest management agreement, it committed 20 years of timber extraction from that region, and under the broader forest management approach in Alberta, which really is timber focus first, and so. We're definitely seeing the impact of that you know, now that they're now into their second 20-year agreement and the increasing conflicts between timber extraction and forestry in the region and things like fish and wildlife conservation, species at risk, and recreation uh, management. So I think that decision, which was not based on any public consultation, um, actually had a really big impact to the face of Kananaskis country and, and even how we think about that country concept.
0: Okay. And so because of that, was, was there too much logging going on? Is that the impact it had or what was the...
1: Yeah, definitely timber, timber extraction increased um, has increased since you know, the, before the, the forest management agreement. And we're seeing it in more and more inappropriate places, either from a recreation or a biodiversity conservation perspective.
0: Yeah, I guess, Katie, that makes me think about you know what's going on now um, as far as other development concerns. So maybe tell me a bit about that.
1: Yeah. So forestry is absolutely uh, a concern when we're looking at the current management of Canonascus. And I think it a little bit falls into that idea of, of how much has changed as far as our knowledge of the ecosystem and the impacts of, of forestry and clear-cut logging and logging roads. We have species at risk that we're not in the same state, you know, 20 to 40 years ago that are being directly impacted uh, by logging activities. And, you know, one of those areas that we're we're focused on right now is the the Highwood. So there's a logging plan uh, in the Highwood close to Loomis Creek that's being proposed that is right along and in some cases directly in critical habitat for bull trout, which is a federally threatened species. It's also an area that people love to Hike. You know, you can see it as you drive Highway 40 past there. Right now it is, is an is a area that is not currently developed by logging or commercial developments. And so that's an area that we've been really focused on. But it's not the only one. It's one that people know well that there is a clear link to species at risk um, that we're highlighting. But it, it's that logging issue is certainly an issue across um, Kananaskis on those areas that are that are unprotected. And, you know, I, I mentioned that when Canascus was developed, it was, I think, 43% protected. Now it's actually flipped. So now it's, um, it's 57% protected and 43% unprotected. But that's still a fairly large area. And I think it's not something that people think about when they think of Kananaskis. We get comments a lot from folks uh, talking about Canascus in its entirety as a park. And it's not, you know, Canascus was created as this country concept that was both parks and public land, although, as I mentioned, with that primary focus of water conservation, biodiversity, and and low-impact recreation, Um, but we're seeing, you know, that impact of forestry on that unprotected land, and because we also know now that areas are not independent of of each other, we are dealing with an ecosystem, that those effects of having that patchy landscape of protected and unprotected there can be large impacts from that development in that in those unprotected areas. Uh, I think the the recreation pressure is also sort of a new and growing one, and and that is a tricky one because obviously we want people to go out and experience Kanaskis. It's it's an amazing place, but it is more accessible. It is uh, you know being so close to Calgary, a pla- and as Calgary's population grows and people are getting outside uh, more. There is an increased number of people visiting the area which comes with a variety of risks to the region, whether that's you know, safety both for people and wildlife as more vehicle traffic is, is on roads and, and chopping up um, wildlife corridors or, or movement patterns, whether it's impacts to water, impacts of people. Staying on trails and, you know, the sediment that can come as you disturb uh, vegetation areas or garbage, you know, like it's or, or just the wildlife impact of that many people, sometimes 24 hours, you know, as as folks even get into night hiking and things like that, that can impact wildlife. So I think it's an, it's prime time again to to really look at Kananaskis and look at the history, learn from that. Go back to those concept of what the the highest value of that region is and then start to look forward and say, how do we manage this place to make sure that we are protecting those key values and that is a place that people can safely and sustainably access nature?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so how do you feel we could best do that? Um, Because, like, when you mentioned that one logging contract twenty years ago, the public wasn't consulted. Do you feel like there needs to be more public involvement, or or how can we make sure that we're managing these spaces appropriately?
1: I mean, I think there's a a few pieces. Um, In two thousand and fourteen, the government created the South Saskatchewan Regional Plan. And that is a land use plan. Alberta is divided into seven land use planning regions with the government's intent to create these big picture land use plans and then more detailed plans that go under the, the vision of those plans. We've only done two in 15 plus years. Um, but the South Saskatchewan is one area that we got an, an overarching uh, land use plan, which also reinforces the value of these areas for water, wildlife and recreation, well, you know, in some areas allowing other industrial and commercial activities. Through that planning process, there was a commitment to do human footprint planning, sort of like what is the impact of all the footprints of industrial, commercial roads, you know, use of those areas, as well as recreation planning for the Kanaskis and Ghost region. That has yet to be completed, so we're now at the 10-year mark of of those plans, and there's actually a 10-year review this year, and we still haven't seen those detailed plans of, of those regions. So I think that's, that we have a process. Those processes are meant to be quite engaging and, you know, have public consultation and stakeholders and and make sure that we are considering how people want to use the area and what our vision for those areas are, incorporating expert opinion on ensuring that we're not impacting the environment itself. And so I think we have these processes, but there isn't really the, the political will or resources to actually enact them and, and get those on the ground. But because we are seeing these increased pressures and increased conflicts, I think it's really important that we, that we move forward on some kind of overall planning process for that region, whether it's through the SSRP or whether it's you know a Kananaskis-specific um, planning process.
0: Okay, yeah. And, and you said, like, you know, with, with that more current plan, um, like, it hasn't been pushed through yet. Um, why do you think that's the case? What's what's holding it back? Is it just money? Planning is, is money? hard. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Um, like, is there a resistance from, like, developers or things like that? Or are people getting along? Or I don't know. I'm just I mean, asking. Yeah,
1: I mean, these these planning processes, while, like, planning puts most people to sleep, when you get into the planning processes themselves, um, there does start to be some of those trade-off conversations. So, um, not everything can happen everywhere all the time. Uh, I think in, in some of these areas, we've forgotten that and we've kind of slumped into, we can just fit everything in. We can fit everything into the boundary of Canada, so we can fit everything into, you know, a certain area of the province. And that's just not true, not if we actually want to maintain the values that we say that we want to maintain. So they can be difficult. You know, they can be somewhat expensive for the government, but I would argue that the cost of not doing something is much larger. Um, and they can be high conflict. Because it may mean things don't go forward, or it may mean that we cut back on certain uses or put more management around how people use an area, and change is hard. And so I think there hasn't been the political will to, to do something that might be controversial. But I, you know, as I mentioned, I, I think the cost of not doing that is much greater, and we just put our blinders on and hope that it works out, and I, I don't think that's, that's going to be the case.
0: So what would be the cost of not doing anything or not following that plan?
1: I think we are already seeing some of that cost. You know, things like these logging activities in really inappropriate areas, things like user conflicts as we get more and more people and different types of users using the same trails or or different trails. I think Canaskis is a a little bit different in that they did do some planning in the original Canascus country concept around separating uses that may not be complementary you know, we have a specific OHV zone for better or for worse in that region. And then most of Kananaskis is not motorized. And so I think there there's already some steps in Kananaskis that other regions have not had. But as we see more and more people, I think we do need to look at how we manage people both in space and time so that we're not having these massive impacts on wildlife through vehicles or through just the the constant activity of of people uh, which some wildlife species can be quite sensitive to that we're not having impacts on water through either logging or through you know trail braiding and things that can create erosion and and certainly um, on experience you know I think can ask us a little bit used to be the place that you went um, when you didn't go to Banff because Banff was too busy at least for for locals but Kaneskis is now very, very busy. So I think people are still looking for experiences that they're not, you know, just all on the same trail. But that means, you know, are they spreading out more? Are they going further back into the backcountry? Are they going off trails uh, and creating some of those, those wildlife conflict uh, issues? So I think really looking at that, what is that state um, and how can we improve that in a way that, you know, doesn't shut everything down or, you know, like that's not what anybody wants but it's about finding that right approach that continues to prioritize and value and actually achieve the things that we're trying to achieve in that area.
0: Yeah, I guess like you talk about managing people. Like is that on maybe like the policy side or is that about like enforcement? Like how how could you kind of manage Canadascus for for the people?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's all about. I mean, one of the pieces we might say is that we need more protected areas in Kananaskis or more recreation ma- management so that we're not having first these industrial recreational uh, conflicts, which then also, you know, because there are also conflicts with species at risk and, and things. So it 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 sort of considers both those those key values. So I think that could be part of it. Some of it is, you know, they brought in the um, Kanask- Kananaskis Country Conservation Pass a few years ago, which... I think we're still yet to see what the impacts of that are as far as uh, accessibility. Um, one of our concerns when they implemented that was, is it still going to be affordable and manageable for everyone to be able to access uh, the outdoors? And so I think that's still, you know, we're still trying to figure that out, whether it had an impact on that. But then also making sure that if they are collecting funds through that sort of pay per use system, that the funds are really going back to the conservation of that region, not just building more recreation infrastructure or more development, um, but really going back into the conservation and in some areas, restoration of the region. And I know we get people bringing up a lot around some of these industrial issues and and forestry issues. I'm paying my $90 conservation pass and they're logging um, an area which is clearly not contributing to conservation. So I think really looking at the uses on the landscape level uh, of what the area can sustain and what those major conflicts are. And then when we get into people management, there's a lot of different ways of going around people management. And I wouldn't want to say, you know, here's the solution because we haven't been through that process yet. That would be what the planning process is about. Uh, But there are some of it could be managing how many people can go on certain trails at a time or, or over a certain time. Some of that could be making sure that people are aware of the different trail opportunities, so everyone's not going to the same trail because that's the one they heard about. Uh, some of it is definitely an enforcement in enforcement and in education around how you respectfully engage in a natural environment to have minimal impact, uh, making sure people are aware that it is wildlife habitat and that they are doing everything they can, they can to avoid conflicts with wildlife. I think there is just this whole spectrum of, of things, and many of them we do, do, and Canaanaskis does and Alberta Parks does. So we're not starting from scratch. It's just, you know, really taking another clear look at that region where we are today and what we can do to best manage it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that just makes me think about you know what people can do individually, right? When you're talking about some of these things and, and managing people, um, that's also on the people visiting the Canyons and and to a certain degree development as well. But um, yeah, I guess on the individual level, what can people do to have an impact?
1: On sort of an individual in place, uh, I think there's there's some simple ones of staying on trails, knowing where you are and and what is around those trails, so that you are acting responsibly and, you know, not stepping off a trail and onto rare plants or or something like that, um, being prepared for wildlife conflicts. So understanding that it is grizzly bear territory and, and that you're carrying bear spray and you're trained how to use it and you're not going to create a situation that is worse if there is an encounter. Um, similarly, with camping and garbage, there can be wildlife conflicts or wildlife attractants through garbage through campsites. And some of these things are a lot of things that that we know or think we know, um, but don't always follow because we get a little lazy or, um, you know, I'm just popping out of the campground for a couple minutes. But I think, you know, those are really simple, basic ones that are really important. And I think most people do follow to to some extent. And I will always say that there's also the, the next piece. There's how you interact when you're out there. And then it's, it's how you engage as a citizen day to day. That involves thinking about what these places mean to you. And what we really want from our both our experience and from the land going forward. So being actively engaged as a citizen in things like the Highwood Logging Campaign, the Defend Alberta Parks Campaign was an amazing example where Albertans said, no, these are places that we love. These are too important for us. You cannot uh, take them away. Uh but also, you know, letting government, letting your elected officials, letting the folks managing know, this is what I want to see from this space, and I'm willing as a citizen to engage in that process.
0: Yeah, and it seems like generally, like we, when we looked at the past and, and more present as well, you know, that, that public voice seems really important too, right? People speaking their minds and, and letting governments know and letting officials know that they, that they care about these places. Do you feel like that's happening with Kananaskis?
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, throughout history, if we look at canascus or Alberta conservation as a whole, or, or most social change as a whole, it really comes down to people making decision makers know that they care about something and the direction that they want to go, whether it's sort of a, a positive direction or like the Defend Alberta Park saying, no, stop, that's not the right policy or, or direction. And that's why you know the work of CPAWS is so important. And what I love so much about the work of CPAWS is it really is about making folks aware of the opportunities or the threats, uh, making it easy for people to engage and and understand how they can engage in these in these processes. So I think it is happening in Canadascas. We're seeing that you know as I mentioned with the with the logging campaign, with the defend Alberta Parks campaign, which did have some sites in Canadascas. We saw it on the coal campaign, which is not. Canadas specific, but all of those were really due to people standing up and saying, this is what I care and this is what I value. And we can see that in the past as well. So, you know, there's not a process for Kananaskis per se right now. So I think that it's not happening on the, on the scale of some of these other examples because there's not, you know, something that people are reacting to um, or a process to engage in other than, you know, logging plans or th- those types of things. But I think given the, the huge value of this place to Albertans, that people are very engaged and very invested in the management now and, and into the future.
0: Next time on Remembering Alberta Parks, I learn about the significance of a synape or riding on Stone Provincial Park to the Nitatippi community.
1: One thing people don't realize is for Blackfoot people to work at these sites to tell Blackfoot history and culture in our way, that is a human right of self-determination. And for so long, our people have been denied that. It's 2024. <laughs> I don't think we should be denied that much longer, any longer.
0: In Over My Heads, Remembering Alberta Parks was produced by Michael Barts with production assistance from Shinichi Hera. Special thanks to all the guests who gave generously of their time and expertise.
1: I'm trying to save the planet. Oh, will someone please save me?
0: This season was made possible with support from the Government of Alberta's Heritage Preservation Partnership Program and Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, Southern Alberta.